Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, we use wooden blocks to spell out G-A-M-E-C-U-B-E. We're doing the ABCs of GameCube. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. Mark, how's it going? It's going pretty good. You know, uh, we are in December. Yeah. We're in the midst of the holiday season. Mm-hmm. And on, you know, a few weeks ago, yes. we were wondering... How early is too early to put up Christmas decorations? And mm-hmm. how late is too late to have Halloween decorations still up? Sure. Well... I on my way over to your house to record tonight. Yes. I'm pretty sure the spooky house that had their like skeleton extravaganza going on in the front yard has taken it down. Take it taking it down. So it's... I think they are not committed to being a three hundred and sixty five. Okay, so they're not just a, they're just not a spooky house. Yeah, I think they just were letting the season live until it became like too through long. Thanksgiving, I think so, and all the way to December one, because December one is really that that is too far. Look, you've got to either pull the cord or commit, right? At that point, and I get you can be a Nightmare Before Christmas house if you want. Oh, a hundred percent. The Haunted Mansion does it every year. They start in September. <laughs> um, also, I think my metaphor of pulling the cord or committing is not a very good one. Why not? It's like because you're it, either pulling the cord, right? Which pulling the cord is a commitment, exactly, because yeah. that's. That would save you, presumably, if you jumped right. out of an airplane. Or you're committing to falling from the sky. So maybe right. I guess it just depends on I guess point I, of view. either way, it's a commitment, right? Right. You're either committing to floating gently to the earth or plummeting to your doom. That's right. Although people fall out of airplanes and don't die. Really? Yeah, there was a... I don't have any... But not by choice. Hmm. Probably. No. People aren't doing it. Captain America, of course, uh, being the yeah, sole that's exception. Right. That's right. <laughs> people aren't doing the it on purpose. proves the rule. Which kind of begs the question, why didn't he jump out of that airplane back at the end of the first Captain America movie as it's going into the ice? Yeah. Why didn't I, he bail? No reason. He absolutely could have. Also, it's going into the ice, but he's Captain America. You don't think he could crawl his way out? I think he could. I think he could, too. I don't think he'd even be that cold. No, I think he chose. He committed. <laughs> He didn't pull that ripcord. Speaking of commitment and ripcords, uh, my copy of Sonic Forces for the Nintendo Switch. Uh, would you like to borrow it? You can certainly try. All you got to do is email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. gmail.com and give us a mailing address where we can send you my copy of the game for the Nintendo Switch. You play it for as long as you want or you do whatever you want with it. You uh, put it up on a shelf. Uh, you light it nicely. You uh, display it for everyone to see. Uh, and then you send it back. It costs you nothing. It is the perfect borrowing program. One thing that might happen is there may be a copy of Untitled Goose Game inside the Sonic Forces box, but that's just something that happens, uh, and you can't uh, you can't complain about it. Is what I'm going to say. Both games out in the world right now. Both games out in the world oh, right now. Oh, what yeah. a nice holiday treat! Mm-hmm. Uh, they're out there, just like Santa Claus. Here's another thing you can do. You can leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate it so much. Thank you to everybody who has left us a review ever. If you leave us a review on the U.S. Apple Podcast Store, we will give you a shout-out on the show. If you leave us a review someplace else, you favorite us, 
you do whatever you can do to share the show, let us know. Send us an email. Hit us up on Twitter. We would love to give you a shout out as well. Um, yes, we love seeing those. Uh, it's been a delight to see um, people's end of year Spotify things come through. Keep sharing those with us. We like seeing those too. That one's almost purely an ego thing though, right? That just makes us feel good. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, here's here's something else you can do, uh, and just something I wanted to bring up. Um, it is the two year anniversary of Connor McCabe's "Call Me by Your Game" uh, podcast. Mark was on last week, um, and I am on this week with a bunch of other people talking about Metroid Dread. So go check out. Uh, I mean, always go check out Connor's show. It's a good show. Um, but the last two weeks specifically have content from Mark and I on it. So check them out. Um, all right, Mark, let's celebrate the GameCube by doing the ABCs of Nintendo GameCube. Twentieth anniversary. We missed it by a little bit. We're a little late coming coming to the uh, the GameCube's anniversary. Um, before we dig into uh, our ABCs, we go through a. B, C, all the letters. <laughs> you know the drill. You know the drill. We come up with something that has to do with, with with the GameCube. We talk about it. We reflect on our experiences with the GameCube and with these specific things that we're mentioning. Um, but just broad strokes, Mark, like what is your relationship to the Nintendo GameCube? Yeah, the Nintendo GameCube was a system that I loved a lot. It, but it's a very, um, you know, like I didn't, I never owned a PlayStation 2. I didn't own an Xbox. And I wasn't really interested. Like I was always a Nintendo kid and yeah. so like I was super into the GameCube um have a lot of good memories have a lot of good memories with weird games like yeah I'm excited about that yeah and so I I guess we'll probably talk about a lot of them and or many of them so I won't go into like sp specific examples but the GameCube library is very eclectic yes well because it it is uh sort of riding that line where it's like uh, Nintendo is sort of kind of competing with the other systems directly at this point. Um, it hasn't really gotten to the total gear shift of the Wii, um, and it's gotten more accessible for developers from the Nintendo 64. So, like, it is, it is, it occupies a very strange space in Nintendo's console lineup. Um, my personal relationship with it is a little, I don't want to say sh strained, but like, it was. It came out and was like in its heyday during uh, the time that I was in college, um, and I just played fewer games then. Uh, a lot of GameCube games I had to like go back and revisit on uh, Wii when I got that because the Wii and the um, DS got me like re-interested in gaming. So there are a lot of ways that the GameCube is my biggest Nintendo blind spot. Oh, interesting. I think the other thing that I'll say about the GameCube is that I totally forgot where that was going. Oh, and it was such, oh, yes. oh no, no, no. such a good point. Was, I don't know that it was a good point, oh, okay. but it was an insight. It was something that I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that by continuing to talk, it will come to me. It'll eventually jog your memory. I was talking. Was it so off what irritating. I was talking about? <laughs> it was. It okay. totally that I, I, it was sort of, uh, I, I didn't get back into gaming until the, the Wii, and that's when I revisited a lot oh, of those games. Oh, this is driving me crazy. Ah! <laughs> I don't know. If it comes to me, we'll stop everything. And go back. And, and talk. And, okay. and, and talk about and it. And erase we'll, everything we'll else we talk about. We'll sidebar. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, put a pin in that. The pin has been placed. Oh, this is what I was going the to say. The pin is being removed. 
this is what I was going to say, is that a quirk of the GameCube is that in the GameCube library is that yes, it is backwards compatible with the Wii, but otherwise, in- well, it the Wii is backwards uh, yeah, compatible with it. Yes. yes, thank you. Um, otherwise, very difficult to play these games. Oh yeah, absolutely, because you can't play it on on a Wii U either. Right. Not that you know there are hundreds of thousands of <laughs> millions of of Wiis out there and very few Wiis. But like in a way that, you know, uh NES games have persisted yes. for over 30 years now. Yes. The Super Nintendo library has persisted for over 30 years. Nintendo 64 games were available on the yeah. Wii Virtual Console. Like those games have been available in one form or another, you know, like uh Mario 64 DS uh, accessible to play much more so than the GameCube. And yeah. so unless you own physical GameCube discs, it's really hard to experience that GameCube library, especially the Nintendo exclusives, which is one of the reasons I was so excited for Super Mario 3D All-Stars. Yeah. Because you could you play, play Super Mario yeah. Sunshine again. Um, and so there are lots of great games that are like stuck on the GameCube. And I don't know when we're ever going to get them again. Yeah, I mean, or, like, in what form? Like, is there a world where we get, like, a Nintendo Switch Online GameCube library? Like, does does that ever happen? Well, and- or is it too recent? Although we're just saying it's 20 years ago. Exactly. Like, it's, it is, by all rights, ancient history. <laughs> it's this weird, like, system that, for whatever reason, yeah. technology, whatever, we have not been able to do a deep dive into in the way we have other Nintendo Pass consoles. Right. And no, I don't think it's going to happen to the Switch. I think eventually we will get there, maybe this whatever the successor to the Switch is, because they've proven it's possible. Right. You know, like, uh, doesn't require special buttons or triggers on the controller. They figured out a way to do it. Yeah. And so... With the exception of one thing that I'm going to talk about very shortly. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, But that was it. Oh my gosh, what a relief to remember it. <laughs> It would haunt me forever. Yeah. Well, the, it's it's interesting, like, just thinking about, like, the timeline. We I'm, you know, said now that we're 20 years out from the release of the GameCube. Just thinking about when we were finally able to revisit NES games again. And it really wasn't until the Wii, which, you know, 2006, right? Well, I mean. I mean I guess, but they were on, like, Game, uh, game exactly, Boys. Exactly, like, Game Boy Advance. Saying, yeah. You know, like. Uh, That's true. But. I think uh, I'm saying that gap is like 20 years. Yeah, as well. I mean that is totally fair. Yeah, that bit between uh, like 86, 87 when the NES is out and 2006 when the the Wii is out with the uh, Virtual Console Library. Right. Yeah. I mean, on the Game Boy Advance, you could play some of them. I like, know you're right. You are like, right. You're right. I'm I'm it's wrong. Still 15 years. <laughs> right. It's still a long time. Yeah. Um. So it it's about time. Speaking of about time, Mark, we should get to it. Uh, let's start with the letter A. Would you like to go first, or would you like to go second? I'll go. I elect to go second. Okay. I will go first. My A is analog triggers. I told you we were going to talk about it. We're talking about it right away. Um. There, the triggers on the GameCube controller are. Uh, unique for the time. Um, although, did the Xbox have these? I uh, Maybe, never owned an Xbox, so yeah, I don't know I don't for know. sure. Um, eventually, Xbox controllers. I mean, definitely do... unique to Nintendo controllers. We've never yes. had them ever again. Right there, and they they have a, an analog quality to them that is sort of unlike any other uh, like L and R button on any controller. Where 
They don't feel like triggers. They feel like big, fat, soft buttons you push with your uh, index finger. Um, and they allow all kinds of different ways to interact with the game, like by uh, you know controlling the speed of the, the flood boost by... Um, or in Super Mario Sunshine, in controlling uh, Luigi's vacuum, all of these things, uh, you just had a more, uh, like more precise control over how hard you were pushing a button. Yeah. So to kind of describe it, like um, for ninety percent of the way, when you are pushing the L and R triggers, right, it's almost like a free, like the the depth at which you are pressing could control, you know, yeah. like speed or something like that in the game. And then at the very end, that last ten percent, it does like click. Yeah. So it's like two buttons in one in each trigger, which is a pretty clever way to do that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, they're, they're very exciting. And like you said, uh, have, have not appeared on any future Nintendo controller. Yeah. And that was always the question, right? Like mm -hmm. um, even before Super, uh, Super Mario 3D All-Stars, there were rumors when the Switch, before the Switch was announced, that GameCube games would be available on Switch. And it was like, oh, was the Switch going to have analog controllers or like analog triggers? Because how else are they going to do it? They did it with two buttons. Right. That, yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, hey, it turns out uh, that works pretty well. <laughs> um, my A is Animal Crossing. Let's talk about it. GameCube mm -hmm. is the first release in the series outside of Japan. That's right. It's a remake of the Nintendo 64 game that was a Japan exclusive but was available everywhere in Animal Crossing. Series didn't really take off, uh, I would say, until Wild World on the Nintendo DS. But um, some unique things about the GameCube entry is they had like an arcade within the game where you could play full-length NES games. Yeah. They were just like available. They were just in the game. Like rare, yeah. I think um, a rare version of Donkey Kong, like a complete version of Donkey Kong, existed within Animal Crossing. That is not, obviously not part of the series anymore. Right. It was a huge part of the original entry. Um, I uh, have very, like, I have formative memories of uh, my friend Nick, uh, Nick Cicerelli, playing Animal Crossing and trying to, like, show it to me and me not getting the appeal um on on the gamecube because like i i mean i guess there probably were like uh sim city style games and maybe even the sims had been around by this point but although maybe not maybe the sims haven't been around that long yeah we, we don't know no one's looking it up so um it, it felt like such a foreign concept to me to like just exist in a town and like have no dungeons have no combat uh just sort of build relationships and obviously that has become a pillar of nintendo animal crossing new horizons is like one of the, the best. biggest yeah game other than mario kart other than mario kart right <laughs> exactly Deluxe, which continues to sell an enormous amount right um mark what a good a um are you ready to move on to your b yeah so my b is bits now the reason i have this for gamecube is is the first i feel like in Generations leading up to the GameCube. I love this. We were obsessed with bits. Needed bits, to know how many 16 bits. 16 bits, mm -hmm. 32 bits, 64 bits. That's how you would measure how like powerful, even though I didn't understand the concept of bits, I sure knew what a 16-bit system was versus a 32-bit system. Right. Well, and also like at some point it's uh, imaginary, right? Like that, that they're not even real things uh, after like after 16, right? Like 32-bit isn't a real thing. <laughs> And so the GameCube, in fact, did have 128-bit graphics, but it didn't matter. Nobody was talking no in that way anymore. Like yeah. Sony had their like a motion engine, mm -hmm. right? Like it, the bits didn't mean anything 
anymore. And it was the first system where what that a was generational for me. leap because the Nintendo 64 takes part of its name from its 64 bitness, right? Yeah, exactly. <sighs> that what a weird trend that was. TurboGrafx 16, Nintendo 64. It was so important. Yeah. And again, like I think a lot of people like me, like 32x, didn't really understand the technical, you know, like ramifications of 16 or 32 bit, but you knew it was a way to compare systems, right? Is a way to like mm-hmm, console mm-hmm. war on the playground. Yeah. Like, oh, it's like 32 bits. That's amazing. Imagine, you need things you can gra- measure. Imagine yes. what graphics a 32 bit system could do. Right. And at this point, we're just past that. Yeah. I mean, it's also past the point of uh, rem- this happened a lot in the. Um, Super NES and Genesis uh, days where they would say how much memory was in the game. <laughs> that like that would be like, this is a 32 megabit game. It's huge. Um, yeah, just like something that is not even, you know, like if if that is a piece of uh, like information that you know about a game before it's coming out, it's because you're like, oh, I hope I have enough har- room on my hard <laughs> right, drive for yeah, it. Exactly. Uh, Mark, my B is one of those games that I wish I could go back and experience in some uh, some capacity because it is a little bit of a legend. I'm talking about Baton Kaidos, Eternal Wings, and The Lost Ocean, which is like the sort of precursor to the Xenoblade games. It is a uh, monolith soft developed Namco published JRPG that's exclusive to the GameCube, um, a platform that didn't have a ton of JRPGs, but like the Tales games were coming over there, but it's still like, you know, there weren't the mainline Final Fantasies and stuff like that. Um, have you ever checked out gameplay of Baton Kaidos? I, I haven't. I have not. I am familiar with it. Again, I remember looking at Nintendo Power and it right. was, you know, like highlighted there. Like you said, published by Monolith or cr- developed by Monolith Soft. I think uh, after the sequel, Nintendo purchased them. Yeah. And but um, no, I haven't. Have you seen so a lot of it, gameplay? It, it looks like the combat is all like card based, um, and you interact with the like playable characters. And I'm putting that in quotes because you are not controlling them. You're like a god that like influences them. Um, so you do like the role playing through like asserting themselves back to themselves interesting um and like strengthening their like personality traits and and, and stuff like that it seems like it uh, is a well-regarded uh weird little gem that is then just like trapped on the system because yeah. that's the only place it ever came exactly. out exactly that that's a perfect example of like and nintendo owns monolith soft has a good relationship with namco let's make this happen that'd it, be awesome it, it seems like they should be able to put this out no problem mark my c because right that's yeah yeah uh my c stands for clock now let me explain the summer between my sophomore and junior years in college i shared a room with uh my buddy scott um and it was uh we we were staying on campus over the summer right um so we were consolidating like all of our things together along with everyone else that didn't want to like put their stuff in storage so we had a bunch of extra couches a bunch of extra tvs just like stuff in the room right um and we had uh one tv that was like up on top of a dresser another tv that was like the entertainment center and the entertainment center tv had like the playstation 2 and an xbox hooked up to it but the gamecube spent most of the summer with the time display on the TV above the dresser. So it acted as our clock all summer long. <laughs> Wait, like it was plugged into the TV? It was plugged into the TV and the TV was on and, so and we were just showing the time <laughs> because it showed the time. That's right. It was keeping the time. Yeah, if there was no disc in there. 
Right? Yeah, if there was no yeah. disc in there, it was just showing you a clock. So for me, for one summer, uh, the GameCube was a clock. Amazing. Which uh, now I realize is uh, maybe why I have an affinity for Game & Watch. Maybe. I like games that are also uh, timepieces. My C is controller. Mm-hmm. The GameCube controller is so such a distinct part of that system. And also, like, um, you we were saying earlier that third-party developers, like, it was easier to develop for the GameCube. Right. But the GameCube still had those quirks that really, like, ticked them off. Yeah. And the controllers were was one of them because the PlayStation 2 and the Xbox both had traditional dual analog controls. The GameCube... I mean, th- that that was a pretty new tradition at the time, right? <laughs> like, right, 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 yeah, yeah. right. But that was, like, it. that's what... Yeah. Third parties could develop for, but the Nintendo GameCube controller did not have traditional dual analog controls. It had but it one. It did have two analog. It had sticks. two like <laughs> analog sticks ish, because like the C yeah, stick doesn't the C really stick is weird. Yeah. work. Like it doesn't feel like a um, analog stick, right? Because uh, it like snaps back. Like it's very. It's in in a way that is like uh, the like tactile feel of it yeah. is different from yeah, an yeah. analog stick. But it does have two, and so you could like kind of fake it. But the other thing that the GameCube controller had is like an. It's and it's actually very smart. Like an enormous action button. Oh my god, I love the A button yeah. on the GameCube controller. The idea of having a main button that is so obviously the main button that there's no because like one of the things that bugs me about going back and forth between playing uh my playstation 5 and um switch is that there are like different assumptions about what is the okay button and what is the backup button um is it cross is it a is it yeah yeah exactly where exactly does my thumb go to accept what's going on and then if i'm also playing xbox games it's just like another level but with a gamecube controller there is no questioning it the (laughs) advance button is the big green button in the middle yeah it's so smart it's so perfect and then the b button is like a little red one and Mm -hmm. then x and y are pills it's a very unique controller yeah but and but it obviously lives on in people's minds and hearts yeah because i don't know that they've ever stopped making gamecube controllers they were compatible on the wii every smash brothers game since smash brothers melee has been compatible with uh gamecube controllers like, right, and the, the Wii U and the uh, the Switch both have a, like official Nintendo GameCube controller adapters. Um, it seems like they're never gonna get rid of that controller. But it was it, I, um, largely at, for Smash. It, yes, but at the time, it was just another thing that like set the GameCube apart in a bad way. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's kind of like it's quirky design, it's quirky colors, and then it has this controller that looks very much like a toy and we were right on the cusp of where like gr- games were about shooting and space marines right and right a- you know like draining it of color and it just um was the wrong controller for the masses but it has lived on in a way that i don't think any other controller ever has yep yep i agree uh mark then your d my D is Dolphin, which is was the code name for the GameCube. Um, I remember, you know, in like GamePro, seeing mentions of the Dolphin and not really understanding console, you know, generations or development cycles. Right. Just knowing that a new Nintendo thing was coming and it was codenamed Dolphin, and that was very exciting. Um, Dolphin is also like a weird one because it's uh, like what 
I guess code names never really mean anything. So I think the reason why they, I'm sure it had a number of code names, but I think the reason why they they kind of like settled on Dolphin was because the graphics processor's code name was Flipper. Ah, and so okay. I think that's right. where Dolphin came from. That makes sense. Um, you remember how the the Wii was the Nintendo Revolution? Yes. Um, I mean, with, say what you want about like the naming of the Wii. Um, changing it from Revolution. Uh. It clearly stated where their goals were and where their priorities were. This is not a, a console that's going to be like for cool dudes feeling cool. No, it is a bold. It's, yeah. that's a bold um uh, code name. And the one for the Wii U was Cafe Project Cafe, which fitting after the revol. You know, like after like the excitement of right. revolution. Right, right, right. right. Uh, yeah. Which uh, you know, I like a cafe. Yeah. It- it just conjures a very different image. My D is Donkey Konga. My man, I cannot tell you how much Donkey Konga I have played in my life. Donkey Konga, of course, being a uh, rhythm game on the GameCube. They made uh, at least one sequel to it that uh, came out here and two that came out in Japan. Um, play with a little Donkey uh, Bongo controller. Um I, I loved it. They it, they were all uh, like crappy covers of of pop tunes, and the occasional uh really ripping big band cover of uh like the Zelda theme of the Mario theme, uh the entire original Pokemon um animated show uh theme song, uh, and I just loved like playing along with it. It also uh is the rhythm game that feels most like you're doing the thing mm-hmm. while you're playing mm-hmm. it because you're actually hitting these bongo drums. Yeah. Um, you're not actually playing guitar when you're playing Guitar Hero. I would say the drums in Rock Band. They're close. They're, they're not a close, drummer. Yeah. yeah. You know. Right. Right. No, they're close. They're close. But look, it's like a one for one. You hit the drum, <laughs> you're hitting the drum. Um, and then, uh, so my E then is for exclusive guest character. I'm referring here, of course, to Link in Soul Calibur 2. Yes. Um, this was a huge deal. Soul Cal- the original Soul Calibur was a, a, a big game. The second one was much anticipated. And when it came to consoles, um, each version of it had its own exclusive character. Link was on the GameCube. Xbox had Spawn. And PlayStation 2 had Heihachi from the uh, Tekken games. Um, there are rumors that they were trying to get cloud, but like they couldn't uh, lock that down. Um, I mean, Nintendo locked it down. So, uh, you know, many years later. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, but it, it's just crazy that like having Link in that game is so like cool and so weird and is never replicated. Right. Um, Soul Calibur 2 was uh, later released on the next generation of consoles, PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 in 2013. Um, and it had both Heihachi and Spawn in it, but Link never reappears in this game. He's only in the GameCube version and that's it. Yeah. I, that was, I remember that was so cool. Also, continually funny to me that spawn is the representation for xbox yeah i mean if that doesn't tell you the target audience i don't know what else does <laughs> well it, it was just so early in xbox. it was like I they, mean, what who, identity who did it have yeah i mean yeah. master chief probably right Be- but like maybe by the time they were developing that that halo didn't even exist yet so like right. who, who knows yeah well that's actually a good uh segue into my e which is ea because mm. the GameCube is the last con- Nintendo console to this day that EA supported a lot. We got like six Madden games on there. Um, we got w- when they had the like we got all the Need for sp- we got tons of Need for Speed ga- Need for Speed games. 
We got James Bond games. Yeah. We got Metal, uh, Medal of Honor games. Like, we got EA supported the GameCube. They really did. And they were grumbling about the controller, right? Like, this was pretty much kind of the end yeah, of yeah, yeah. that relationship. But EA was all in on the GameCube. Um, and really, like, third-party support in general was deep and eclectic with true oddities like uh, Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes yep. and Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles and the first, like, couple of Call of Duty games, lots of sports games. Like, EA, like we talked about when we did the ABCs of S- Nintendo Sports, EA had this whole run of games that had, like, cameos from Nintendo characters. Right. From, like, street basketball and snowboarding. Um, so it, it was a really like different time for third parties and Nintendo because they hadn't really been there for the Nintendo 64, but they went, they did, they went all in on the GameCube. And I think because of the lack of success on the GameCube, they felt a little, and the like difficulty in developing for it because of that controller and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, they felt a little burned. But I mean, like you almost do you sort of have to do it, right? Because, like, um, the Xbox at that point is an uh, it's an unknown, right? Like, it's there, and it eventually became, like, a big deal. But it was the first hardware that Microsoft had ever put out. Yeah, why, why bet against Nintendo at that point? Yeah, totally. Up next is F, and my pick is Flood from Ooh, your companion slash motion character from Super Mario Sunshine. It is difficult for me to express how much I love Super Mario Sunshine and replaying it f- as part of uh, Super Mario 3D All-Stars was so much fun. I have so many good memories of playing Super Mario Sunshine for the first time. I know that it is not uh, a perfect game, but I think like it the good makes up for like some of the or i guess many of its annoying qualities <laughs> i just really love super which Mario where, where, where do you put flood in that uh, is, is flood, flood is great okay, okay flood is great um it, the i think flood is really necessary in this game because some of the platforming the platforming is very like vertical and the game is not very forgiving in a lot of places where you fall like there is a lot of just like oh crap i fell from this and now i'm gonna have to work my way back up and it's going to take me a long time to do it. And so Flood is good in like helping players um, make those kind of like precision things, or it requires less precision, which is good right. for this game, which is not very forgiving. Yeah, I mean, it, I think there's also something very interesting in just like relying on the verticality so much, and that Flood unlocks that kind of ability. Um, so it's not just Mario jumping super high for no reason. Um, like verticality is always part of Mario, but uh, sunshine kind of blows that up. It, totally. And it was also different because Mario had had power-ups before, but yeah. he doesn't really have power-ups in Super Mario Sunshine. Just he just the always persistent has flood. flood. Yeah. Yeah. And so it learns new things. It does. Yeah. yeah. It unlocks new abilities. Um, is flood the main character of Super Mario Sunshine? <laughs> I guess it has more of an arc. Than uh, any of the other characters. I mean, Mario stands trial for some <laughs> crime. A, yeah, for graffiti. <laughs> yeah, it's that's a right. kangaroo court. Also, um, uh, Bowser Jr. potential like it's uh, uh, nodded to that potentially Princess Peach is his mom, or that Bowser has been telling him right that which uh, that Princess that makes Peach sense is, that yeah. he would say that he's just that's trying to get your captured. mom back. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, which also uh, not a good look, Bowser. <laughs> Um, it almost makes it worse. Um, yeah, Bowser turns out 
the not a good of guy. Games. Not a good guy. Yeah. Um, my F is uh, F zero GX, um, which to my mind is sort of the uh, perfect execution of an F zero game. It looks the most like what you are imagining in your head when you see F zero games on other platforms. Um, and it, it also has like the ability to show that sort of like upside down, uh, on the track gravity's messed up a la uh, Mario Kart eight. Um, like, and it's, it's cool that they eventually get back to that sort of idea in way, way, way later Mario Kart games and start like ripping off some of that, uh, cooler, um, F zero stuff, but F zero GX is like kind of executing it you know, 20 years ago. That's cool. I've never played F-Zero GX. Uh, I also have never actually played it. I've only seen video, uh, and it seems super rad. Um, My G is the Game Boy Player. Um, Game Boy Player, a weird little base that you put on the bottom of your uh, GameCube. The number of, like, ports and, like, secret little compartments on that thing, just wild. Um, But it allowed you to play Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and GBA games on your TV, either using the GameCube controller or using a Game Boy Advance as the controller, Um, which is truly, like, the portable at-home sort of thing of the Switch well before the switch yeah such a good feature my g is also game boy advance related and it is the game boy advance link cable yeah which was something that nintendo was really trying to make happen um some games somehow they talked square enix into making final fantasy crystal chronicles requiring it for multiplayer yeah that's outrageous um but other games did as well like uh, uh Four Swords Adventures mm-hmm. for the GameCube, The Legend of Zelda Four Swords Adventures. Um, I did own a Link Cable, and I did own like Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, but I don't think I ever played a game like a full game with uh through with the Link Cables. Yeah, I mean it. It it's a it's a lot of weird buy in, right? Like, um, just having to have like the the additional cables to like connect it, uh is just another like barrier, right? Like there was nothing that came with those cables. Also, I don't know about you, but like I didn't have a bunch of friends who owned Game Boy Advances that right. we could all get together and play like Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. Do you remember that uh, for Super Smash Brothers 4, you could use a 3DS as a controller on the Wii U? No. You could use it because it was the exact same as right um so yeah like you could go into smash but maybe you would need to needed to have the game i bet there was a separate app you can download to do that it's just uh it's always neat when they find a way to make the handhelds talk to the home consoles obviously that'll never be a thing again because the handheld is the home console up next is h Mm -hmm. and my h is handle because the gamecube had a little handle on the back so it was a um I mean, I guess this is as good a time as any to talk about, like, the GameCube itself Yes, was a, again, a very toy-like looking device at a time where video games was were moving strongly away from that. Yeah. Um, Everything else was either looking like the, the Xbox looking boxy uh-huh. and the PlayStation look, 2 looking sleek. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And the, but the GameCube was like, no, it is, looks like a lunch pail, mm-hmm. like a very, like, it looks like a cube. And in fact, it fitting. is a cube, yeah. <laughs> and it's purple, right? It's purple everywhere. And eventually, you could get other colors, but that was the launch color, not something neutral. Purple, yeah. Plus that controller that we talked about, like very colorful. And then it had this handle, 
which nothing against the handle. In fact, one of my favorite memories of the Switch reveal in January of 2017 was when they talk about the Switch has aspects of every Nintendo home console before it, including the hand, like the portability as seen in the handle of the GameCube. But did did you ever hold your GameCube no! from the handle? <laughs> no. Although I'd like to imagine, I wish, you know, I, uh, me wearing like, you know, litter, little knickerbockers, yeah. swinging that GameCube as I'm walking down the street right. to my with, friend's with house. With your or blonde curly locks. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But no, I, I never did. Um, yeah, I don't think I ever did either. Uh, it's it's also so small that, I mean, both like the handle, I feel like if I, I think I would have a hard time putting my hand in the handle right now um, with our giant man hands. Um, but I think it, I could also just like palm a GameCube. Yeah. They're so little. Um, Mark, I struggled with H a little bit um, and I can't believe I overlooked handle. That's <laughs> so good. My H is the hero's shade from the Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. Um, the hero shade is a ghostly character that visits you in that game and teaches you new sword techniques. Um, and it is uh, either confirmed or like heavily hinted that this is like the ongoing spirit of the Ocarina of Time Link, um, who is like passing down his knowledge to future generations of Hyrulean hero. Um, I guess Hy- Hyrule could also have been uh, my, my H. Um, but the Hero Shade was always one of those things that was like so cool um, that like captured my imagination about um, Twilight Princess. Uh, and that sort of connects it to like the greater Zelda mythos. It just makes the game seem bigger than it is. Um, my eye is Ike the protagonist from Fire Emblem Path of Radiance, which is the first 3D Fire Emblem and the first one to appear on a console outside of Japan. Um, and a, a, this is another game that I'm like, man, I wish I had access to play. Because I, I really like the Fire Emblem games, um, but you know, this is, uh, this is one that is uh, both Path of Radiance and uh, Radiant Dawn, the one on, on Wii. I've not played either. And they're like a nice little duology. They both feature Ike. Um, like I just, I wish I could play these games. Yeah, I'm curious uh, if and when we will see these games again because I don't think that Nintendo's like ashamed of Fire Emblem's past. You know, they yeah. re-released, or they created that like updated kind of um, with quality of life improvements version of the original game right. that was released and localized for the first time for a li- and uh, was available for a limited time on the eShop. But I also think what Fire Emblem is post-Awakenings versus what is different. And so I wonder how they will balance that going forward. Yeah, it's a good question. Because, like, when they re-released, and it wasn't a re-release, it was, like, a straight-up remake of um, uh, Fire Emblem Gaiden. Uh, They released it as uh, Echo Shadows of Valentia, um, which was, like, it's a lot of this. It's the same, like, scenario, but a lot of, um, like, revamped systems to get it more in line with what we think of Fire Emblem now. Right. So, yeah. it'll. Um, but, yeah, like you, I've never experienced these games. Would be interested in at least seeing them come back and playable in some form. Yeah. And Ike, of course, would become uh, popularized with Smash players um, in the next generation on, uh, in Smash Brothers uh, Brawl. My eye is Awada as in Satoru Iwata, who became president of Nintendo during the GameCube era in 2002 after joining Nintendo full-time in the year 2000. Iwata, of course, would go on to have an enormous impact on the like direction and future of Nintendo and become near and dear to fans' hearts all around the world. 
Um, that's a good eye. I like uh, I like Iwata a lot. My J is Jungle Beat, as in Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. Here we go. Notable, I think, for maybe three reasons. Okay. One. One. Uses the bongos. Absolutely insane. This is an action platformer. You are not playing music. It is the only other game besides the Donkey Kong games that use the bongos. Um, but uh, there was potentially going to be a third one that we will get to later. Um, Ooh. Uh, two. This was developed by EAD Tokyo, mm-hmm. which would then graduate and go on to create uh, Super Mario Galaxy. Yeah. Yeah, and this is uh, really one of the few times that a mainline Donkey Kong game, to the extent that this is a mainline Donkey Kong game, but like using the Donkey Kong Country like characters and aesthetics, um, is being developed by uh, a Japanese studio. Well, that is such an interesting point because my third point is that this is the last Nintendo of Japan developed DK game up to this point. Mm. There have been other Donkey Kong like spin-offs like the racing game on Wii and stuff, but were not developed by Nintendo yeah. Nintendo internally. They were published by Nintendo, not developed by Nintendo internally. Um and then of course, Retro created Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Country Returns and Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, not part of Nintendo of Japan. But the other interesting thing about Jungle Beat and is that it does not use any of the Donkey Kong Country characters. They, That's a great point. Doesn't use that Diddy, is a great point. It doesn't yep. use like uh, Dixie, like any of that. It goes its own direction, which was kind of jarring to have a this like platform Donkey Kong platformer that completely ignored Donkey Kong Country, which was very beloved by a lot of people. Um, but I think at the time, not as beloved in Japan, but uh, the characters have persisted now over like thirty years, and so. Um, you know, all the speculation on whatever this new Donkey Kong game that is being developed right, by right, Nintendo right. in Japan, uh, if that does exist, the rumors are that it incorporates more of those elements because the people who are developing it grew up on Donkey Kong Country. Um, you know what the big mistake is with the characters in Donkey Kong Jungle Beat? Too many evil Kongs. <laughs> there are different, like... I, what I, is going on? You, evil Kongs? Wait, is that where, like, Donkey Kong's alternate color... Like schemes, like costumes. And oh, Smash possibly. Brothers I don't know. Because there definitely is a, an evil silver, like Donkey yep, Kong yep, yep. in Jungle Beat. Uh, yeah, it's it's a a weird, wild game. Uh, Mark, I don't have a J. Um, this was the one letter I, I I couldn't come up with anything. So I'm gonna skip right over it to K to Kirby's Air Ride, um, a Masahiro Sakurai uh, directed. Uh, game the last Kirby game that he directed um, and is such a simplified like racing game uh, like a la Mario Kart but like just it 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 has a bonkers aesthetic and like speed to it and it feels so much like Kid Icarus Uprising the flight segments right oh interesting um well because it's like it's all about like zipping through a space really fast you having sort of limited control over where you go and it just being the sort of like roller coaster spectacle that you're kind of assisting uh, y- your way through um so yeah it just it it it's amazing how much uh how neat it is as like a uh, a sakurai game and as a kirby game uh it just has a nice little place in uh his- the history of both of those things that's really cool i have never like played that game before my k is also a racing game and it is a my k is kart for of course mario kart double dash very good a game that i have maligned. i thought we weren't going to talk about it because we got through the d's <laughs> a game i have maligned on this show in the past but i do i do have a soft spot for it 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 true it does play slower 
than uh, Mario Kart 64 and some of the other entries, but it is very unique in that, you know, on each cart, you're selecting two characters. And so the carts are of totally different design because they have a space for both characters. You can swap the characters within the game. Um, there is multiplayer where you are both racing on the same cart and the person on the back is controlling like the items of which you can hold two at a time. And also like leaning one direction or the other to yes. like help with like taking turns faster. Yeah. Not that right. I ever wrapped my head around that. No, no. And uh, we didn't play much in, um, yeah. uh, like that co-op mode. We were much more competitive, but yeah, double dash, it doesn't have the sense of speed that at the time I felt like Mario Kart 64 had going back Mario Kart 64 not that speedy yeah but um definitely that was the illusion at the time so not my favorite Mario Kart game by any means but one again another interesting experiment experiment during the GameCube era from Nintendo I also think you got to shout out Double Dash for just like broadening the like uh, breadth of what characters are in oh, those games. Oh, totally. Great like, point. You know, it, it, it was a very, like, play it safe for the first two games in the series. Uh, and, you know, now we expect to see just, like, a bunch of weirdos, right? Like, I mean, now we've got all the Koopa kids in when, there. When, like, and, Dry like, Bones wasn't in there. Yeah. We were furious. Give me Dry Bones or give me death! Um, and I think that uh, the Double Dash, like, really encouraged, like, oh, yeah, of course there's, like, we of course we got a Waluigi. Of course we got baby versions of the characters. Of right. Course, of course we have like stuff. piranha plants. Of yes, course we have yes. Daisy now. Like all of that stuff for yeah. sure. That's such a good point. My L mm -hmm. is little discs. We talked about this when we were ranking discs. <laughs> little discs. <laughs> uh, GameCube game discs. That's right. Is what they were actually called as we discovered when we did our ranking of the Nintendo game. Uh, cartridges, yeah, game packs, um, game discs, and game carts. Uh huh. But uh, yeah, it, again, for third parties, you're like Nintendo giveth and they taketh away because they're like, hey, we're doing discs, and everyone's Yay! like, yeah, but they're gonna be itty bitty. You're not gonna be able to put as much content on it. You might have to have two for Resident Evil Four. Um, Nintendo was still determined to go their own path, but. Uh, they did have little discs. Little discs. Cute little discs. Uh, Mark, my L is uh, the first of many Resident Evil references that I'm going to make throughout the course of this night. Um, it is Lisa Trevor from the Resident Evil remake. So a lot is made of the fact that Resident Evil 4 started off life as a GameCube exclusive but that was far from the only Resident Evil game that came out on GameCube, and even far from the only Resident Evil game that came out on GameCube first. The Resident Evil Remake and Resident Evil Zero both came out on GameCube first. And those are... A, a remake is a great version of the orig original Resident Evil. You lose very little. Um, it is still cheesy. It still plays into a lot of the same, like, B-horror movie-like tropes. Um, but it's just, like better <laughs> it's great as a for a first time player yes and then it messes with you yes. as a like somebody who's played resident evil before because because of the the what are they called crimson heads yes yes yeah where it's basically like zombies in the original game when zombies were gone they were gone yeah like, you didn't have to worry about them again in resident evil remake without like in the marketing it didn't really warn you about this right these crimson heads could come back right if you don't either 
blow their head off sort of by accident. It was a randomized thing. Or you could light the corpses on fire and then they wouldn't come back. But otherwise, any zombie that you killed would come back hours later and be much harder to defeat. But Lisa Trevor is one of the additional like character sort of side stories um, throughout this game that uh, does not appear in the original release. Um, and uh, Lisa Trevor is the daughter of uh, the man who designed the mansion. Um and uh, she was experimented on by um, by Umbrella and got super strength, um, but was uh, horribly disfigured in the process. By the time you encounter her, she's living in a shack behind the mansion, and she has the faces of her parents sewn onto her body. And it's just like she's this wailing, like chained up, like creature that like kind of haunts you in not like a Mister X or like a Nemesis kind of way, but just like. She's a constant threat and is horrifying every time you encounter Ooh, her. Ooh, that's so creepy. She's such a good character. Um, okay, then moving on to M. Uh, I went with Master Quest, baby. Um, the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time and the Ocarina of Time Master Quest came on this little disc, or maybe it was two discs, I forget, um, that you would get as part of your pre-order for Wind Waker. Um, and it was just a remix of the original Ocarina of Time. Um, dungeons were totally rearranged. The way that you had to like get through them was all different. Everything was harder. Um, it was just like there hadn't been that sort of twist on a Zelda game since the original, right? Like the Master Quest entering in your name as Zelda um, and playing like the, the Master Quest or actually beating the game and then playing it a second time uh, with everything moved around um, is such a cool way to get more out of a game. But then to do that to um, Ocarina of Time was just mind-blowing. Yeah, I think that it was like had previously been released in Japan mm -hmm. and we were getting it in the U.S. for the first time as part of this pre-order bonus. The, uh, Wind Waker is the first game that I ever pre-ordered yeah. at an EB Games or an EB Toys in the mall and I remember getting this and it was so exciting. I've never beat the Master Quest. No, me neither. But uh, it was so fun to like have it and to you know like be able to mess with it and see how different it yeah. was when i remember getting to the the fire temple as an adult like get, getting that far into the uh the the master quest and like getting too sort of wrapped around my head which you know would happen in the regular version of the game too but like yeah it's if you want like a fresh new experience like the master quest is out there and it's also uh, it's available on the 3ds uh remake as well so my M is Metroid Renaissance. Yeah. We were living in it in we were. the GameCube era. Not only did you get Metroid Prime and Metroid Prime 2 um, on the Game Boy Advance, you got Metroid Fusion and Metroid Zero Mission. It was a, a, a great time to love Metroid yeah. because there was a lot of it and there was a lot of good Metroid and new Metroid and exciting Metroid. Yeah, well, and this is also a time when they were trying new stuff with Metroid, right? Like, you, you mentioned Fusion, uh, obviously, on the, the, the Game Boy Advance, which you could play on your GameCube with the Game Boy Player, um, but that that is, like, the next step in the series, and then Prime being, like, here's kind of a reinvention. And then even in Prime 2, that they're like, oh, and also, here's multiplayer, right? Remember there was, like, head-to-head, yeah. uh, -head, uh, it must have been split-screen, um, or maybe you could land them together. It was, it was definitely, or there was definitely split screen. Yeah. Um, so, like, ex experiments, not all of them worked, but, like, it, it definitely, it truly was a Metroid re renaissance. My N is for N-Space, the developers of uh. Geist, 
which is was a <laughs> Nintendo published Nintendo GameCube exclusive, a game that I have never played, but that I am obsessed with because it is such a weird the fact that it exists. Yes. The game itself is very strange where you play as this like disembodied spirit. Who the only way? Well, you you start as like a soldier, right? Yeah, uh, who's like who's invading this like uh, part science, part like spiritual whatever um, thing, and you fight like some of their uh, monsters, and then you die, and your spirit gets separated from your body, and then you spend the rest of the game possessing other uh, people, animals, and inanimate objects. (laughs) Yeah, and and to affect like. Um, actions yes. within the world. It's actually not that dissimilar to Ghost Trick, a Nintendo DS game that I love. And not that dissimilar, really, to Super Mario Odyssey. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> reportedly, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto was the one who suggested, like, oh, like, who pushed them to weirder possessions. Yes, yeah. Because, um, like, uh, there are parts where you have to, like, frighten the dog so that you can possess the dog. If it's a living thing, it needs to be frightened for you to possess it. Um, so you possess, like, the dog dish um, and, like, shake it around and that freaks the dog out. There's one point where you uh, possess a shower head um, and, like, uh, mess with someone who's, like, taking a shower. Like, it's all so weird. It's so, so weird. And uh, reading about how this game came about, because N-Space, like, not at all related to Nintendo, they were, you know, like a developer who had heard that Nintendo was interested in developing some sort of first-person game. Yeah. And so they worked on this prototype for Geist for like six months, sent it off to Nintendo of America, who sent it off to Nintendo of Japan, who apparently loved it. Yeah. And I think the game that Geist was making and the game that Geist ended up, or sorry, that Space was making and what Geist ended up being were very different. And that is one of the reasons where I took years for it to be like in development. Um uh, I it became much less of like a first. It is still in first person. Like you possess the dog. The dog is colorblind, so like you know, like it's in black yeah. and white. Like all that Which kind is of all stuff. very like, cool. But and like you can see like the muzzle of the dog. Yeah, the so yeah. it's still first person. But I don't think like the first person shooter type game that End Space was originally going for. Well, it's so weird because some of that is still in there. Like every now and then you have to possess a dude with a gun and like <laughs> start mowing down dudes. And like the whole, like the first like half hour or so of the game is a first person shooter. <laughs> and then they just mess with it. It's just, it's such a, it's so weird that this game exists. Yeah. It's so weird that Nintendo was, of Japan was really enthusiastic about it. It's so weird that Nintendo, that Shigeru Miyamoto was you know, like hands-on and giving the whole thing is so bizarre and uh, I love it so much. So my end is end space. I'm going to say that brings us to my end, which is the Nintendo difference. Mark, do you remember them marketing the GameCube with the phrase, the Nintendo difference? Okay. So there is a very, very early GameCube trailer that shows off a lot of the games that would eventually come to GameCube spends a lot of time showing off um, super smash brothers brawl. Um, or melee um and you know we see animal crossing they're still calling it animal forest and like a couple other things and uh they're positioning the nintendo difference as like um the ability to play like hardcore games but with nintendo's like knowledge of their audience um and you know a lot of what we are talking about does represent the nintendo difference right that we are getting a technologically competent piece of hardware playing uh technologically competent games that are also like fun and weird and quirky um and yeah sometimes that means you got to play geist but you know other times it means you're playing wind waker so like the nintendo difference is a good thing uh 
or is it my next my next oh wait sorry oh, yes. one thing i wanted to say yes. about the nintendo difference before we move on is just that um that makes sense to me because when we last year when we were watching previous e3 presentations yes in this era nintendo had a real chip on his shoulder yes like it felt like um i felt like watching those presentations that nintendo felt like people weren't taking them seriously because mm-hmm. they weren't and they were like Felt like they had to come out as the schoolyard tough and being a little bit like, you guys don't understand us. We're like rough and tumble and, you know, like I mean, we're... Re- Reggie came out at one of those presentations saying he was ready to kick ass and take the, names. His first presentation. What is, like, what is that? Yeah, so... Dude, you work for Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, so what are you it, talking about? So it makes total sense to me that, uh, yeah, that they would be like, this is the Nintendo difference because they, they f- definitely felt like they had something to prove. Right. And it was before they had really landed on the play for everyone. Yes. You know, like it, yeah. it it's uh, the and the Nintendo difference is such a like soft non-definable like commitment to like doing something different um that it's it, it's a, a like a turn of a phrase that I think is is very funny. Um my O is for Odama. Mark, are you familiar with Odama? I am because I that is also my O. Okay. So Odama was the uh, second to last game that Nintendo published on the GameCube. The last game that they published only on GameCube because the other, the one after that would be Twilight Princess. Um, and it is a strategy game set in feudal Japan where you control giant ball, balls on a battlefield by hitting it with uh, pinball flippers. Um, and also you shout commands to your soldiers on the field using the GameCube microphone. I love it. I've never played it. Me neither. But I remember reading about it in Nintendo Power. And this, like you're saying, truly the Nintendo difference. Y- yes. I Created, uh, produced, and designed by the creator of the uh, famous, infamous, maybe even, Dreamcast game, Seaman, uh, mm-hmm. Yutaka Saito. Starring Leonard Nimoy. Uh-huh. Yeah, and both of these games have like a speaking to the game component. Like famously, that was well, like most of the gameplay of Seaman was that you talked to this like fish, uh, human face fish uh-huh. thing, um, and tried not to upset it. And in this, you're trying to like shout commands to uh, your soldiers on the field. Okay, so this is uh, here's a fun fact. Yeah. So Odama debuted at the uh, E3 in 2004, and this version of the game used. DK Bongos, a second player Whoa. could raise troop morale and distract enemy troops by repeatedly wow. beating the DK Bongos. However, after that, when uh, the game was shown at E3 the next year, that feature had been That removed. feature was gone. What's interesting is the DK Bongos, if all you really need is a microphone and two buttons, the DK Bongos have that. <laughs> Do you think they secretly like designed the whole game to be played on the the bongos? Bongos? Why not? And then they were like, "Uh oh, we only sold (laughs) thirteen of these, and they're all one kid in Wisconsin." (laughs) Uh, That's very good. Would you like to give your P, Mark? Yeah, my P is uh, for purple. We we for purple. (laughs) We talked about this um, in H for handle, but the GameCube was purple, which was an interesting choice. Um, a few weeks ago, we talked about a GameCube retrospective that was published in VGC.com. And in that, they interviewed people 
from the marketing departments of both the Nintendo of America and Nintendo of Europe, in which they say, we told Nintendo of Japan, don't do purple. Do not do purple. Everyone will make fun of purple. They did purple anyways. And they, they did sort of get made, made oh, fun of, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Okay, all right, great. Yeah, 100%. It was... But uh, getting made fun of has never hurt Nintendo. They... I It does not seem to phase them. They called the follow-up to this thing the Wii. <laughs> There's no making fun of these They guys. got out in front of that one, though. They they announced that a couple of weeks before E3. That's true. They knew they were going to take bullets for it. My P is Pikmin. I, the birth of a new franchise, uh, one that is still sort of like struggling to gain like a real foothold as like a, a relevant part of the um, uh, Nintendo Pantheon. But uh, Pikmin, a, a type of game that is was now possible um, with so many uh, like individual distinct characters on screen at once. Like I know that uh, Pikmin is sort of an outcropping of um, the uh, Mario 128 uh, sort of like tech demo, which was just a way to prove that you were that you had uh, 128 Mario characters running around at one time. Um, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll just make those little Pikmin and uh, then you can play a game with them. Yeah, Pikmin, a we- like you were saying, like a weird series, was on the GameCube, took a long break. There were the, like, uh, Wii Play or whatever they were called. Yeah. Like Wii Motion, whatever. I can't remember what versions. They released some versions some, some of GameCube play. games on Wii that had, like, motion controls. And it had right. uh, like a, a name for it. I can't remember what that series was called. It was like improved play. Something. Imp- something yeah. play. But anyways, so Pikmin, successful-ish, you know. Uh, but for Miyamoto's new franchise, you know, selling a million or so copies, not that impressive. Um, but took a long break. Uh, had a strong showing on the Wii U, but really got the Switch bump in a big way. And so I think we'll see more of Pikmin in the future. Um, new play controls. That's is what, it, what was. it was called. That's what it was. Um, all right. So what? What we, we are on Q. Okay, Q. Me or you? You. Okay. My Q is for quick time events. And why is Resident Evil Four so full of them? Um, it's uh, insanity. How the game is so good, right? And uh, so um like revolutionary in a lot of ways. Um, but it based a ton of its boss fights and like cinematic encounters on quick time events that you had to get right, or it would kick you back to the beginning of the fight. And not the, probably not the first game to use quick time events. No, definitely not. But, but it definitely popularized the first it. Yeah. that I remember playing and being like, Whoa. And because it was so like novel, I was, I was like, I thought it was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, and, until like when you get to that Wesker knife fight at the I end. I know, I know. That's fair. Every and everybody like quick time events. They had a short shelf life, and now when they happen in games, I'm kind of like knock it off. Right, right. But at the time, I was impressed. Well, and do you remember the first time that you like had gotten to like okay, there was like a cinematic here, and you put your controller oh, down. Oh, uh, yeah. It, and then it, and then it's like there's a big flashing green A button on there, and you're like, uh. It happens very early when yeah. you're like first going into the village, and they push that big boulder. Yeah, yeah, but uh, that that's while you're actually playing, right? Like that's not during a, a cutscene. Uh, there is. Well, I can't remember. Yeah, who knows? Um, my cue is the Panasonic cue. <laughs> What a weird oddity. So a Japan-exclusive hybrid GameCube from Panasonic that was a DVD player and GameCube combo. Um, it Part of the deal with Nintendo to develop the optical drive for the original GameCube hardware was that they could create this like hybrid version. It's in a stainless steel 
case, which just feels so early, it's like so 2000. Funny. Yeah. Um, it's a little bigger than a GameCube. It, it would have to be to fit a DVD in it. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, um, a, like not. It is cube esque, but not exactly a cube. It's a little like has a little like bulge on the top and everything. Doesn't it have like a little digital display it on does, the front of it? Too? Yeah, it does yeah. have a little digital display at the top, which is it's almost like a lit uh, uh, like a dome on the top of it. But just an interesting quirk. Did not sell well in Japan. Was never brought anywhere else, even though the original plan was to release it worldwide. And next up is R. My R is Resident Evil Zero. Some Resident Evil talk here. A true GameCube exclusive. For a while. For a while. But I mean, like, they, you know, Resident Evil 4 was, whoa, uh, it's the new exclusive Resident Evil game. And it's like, guys, we have that. Yeah. It's called Resident Evil Zero. And we've kind of got two because (laughs) Resident Evil, the remake, is way different from the original. Yeah, there's also just a ton of Resident Evil on GameCube. Yeah, because they re-released two and three and Code Veronica all on on the GameCube. And I remember because I had like gotten uh, rid of like my older consoles that I rebought all of those games. Except for maybe Code Veronica. I think I still kept my... Because I still own my Dreamcast because I'm an idiot. Um, But yeah, I I had uh, 0, 1, 2, 3, and 4 all all on uh, my GameCube. Yeah, it was... uh, It was great! It was a Resident (laughs) Evil bonanza. Yeah. For sure. Um, We'll talk more about uh, Resident Evil 0 in a minute. Um, But my R is Rogue Leader, a.k.a. Rogue Squadron to um, just another entry in these uh, in this great series of Star Wars like flight games that had uh, like there was an arcadiness to them that uh, like just felt everything feels very solid you know um, one of my worries about any uh, like flight combat games or any Star Wars uh, vehicle based games is that it's going to feel like you're in space it's going to feel like there's no gravity to anything um, but these games all felt they're all like very Star Foxy in their um quality and beautiful beautiful the graphics are way nicer than so they should look yeah good it was factor 5 the yep. developer magic factor 5 sadly after was it layer was that the name of the playstation 3 exclusive like dragon flying game that yeah. was in development hell for like a million years and ended up basically bankrupting factor 5 but um uh, they did amazing work with these Rogue Squadron games. Um, also, man, I, I'm excited that we are like going back into the uh, space where uh, more companies, not just EA, can make Star Wars games. Because like Factor, like who the heck was Factor Five to make like an awesome Star Wars game? Like, yeah, they can come from anywhere. It's like Ratatouille said, anyone can cook. Um, my S is for the scan visor in Metroid Prime which took the way the new perspective that this game gave you and turned it into a Metroid-y game mechanic where you had to scan everything that you were looking at. I don't know. It all just felt like the perfect marriage of like what was new about Metroid and what was old about Metroid in one mechanic. It's so true. That Metroid Prime is such a gift. It's a miracle, really. Yeah. Because it really like advanced what metroid could be but may but like somehow was able to maintain that like dna of what metroid was yeah really special game yeah it's as though they went through everything that was special about metroid 
described it as best they could and then we're like okay in the 3d game what yeah, is that yeah it's just so so good my s is for the startup screen and that startup jingle. Oh, yes uh if you have ever seen it or heard it before it's very memorable it's like a cube that like falls down mm-hmm. into the shape of the g eventually yeah, yeah and, and then, then there's like a c inside of the g uh-huh and has game cube and then has like a cute little like do 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 Doom. Yeah, it's very good. Um, oh, yeah, that's yeah, great one, Mark. Um, my T is something that we've already covered, which is triggers, the analog triggers on the controller. My T is also sort of something that we've already covered, but now we get to talk about it in a little more detail. The train sequence from Resident Evil Zero. Oh, yes. Um, so much of the game takes place uh, in the uh, the Trevor Mansion is sort of like uh, a second stab at um, the setting for Resident Evil 1. Um, but you get there by uh, like riding on this train. It's how the game opens. Yeah. It's like the first maybe two or three hours of the game. Um and uh, it is truly when it's doing like sort of the most compelling. The the hook of the game is that you're controlling two characters more or less in real time that like you switch between them and they can be like in the same room as each other. Um, so they'll be like separated by something and like one of them can do one thing and another can do another. And you just have to like help get each other through. And the train part of that um, was just such a fresh setting for Resident Evil. Um, you know, we had been through mansions and cityscapes and, you know, whatever Resident Evil 4 is. Um, but like here's a train here's a moving train it's just it's so cool and exciting and like what a great innovation for that game uh mark you the letter you um is where we are next uh i want to talk about universal studios theme park adventure mark are you familiar with universal studios theme park i adventure? know that this game exists but i have never played it which is a real crime yeah because i love theme parks yes and i love video games and so anytime that there is like a theme park video game especially one that tries to have any amount of fidelity i eat it up well so this game may have tried to have some amount of fidelity but it is uh you are attending the uh universal studios uh park in japan um and you are uh you you go on the various rides and the rides are like little mini games, not, not really mini games, they're just small games. Um, and they're, they're based on uh, properties like back to the future uh, or back to the future of the ride jaws, Jurassic park, um, ET backdraft, wild, wild west and water world. Um, there's also like a movie quiz and all this other stuff, but to interact with all of the like, parts that you actually want to do you have to pick up trash in the park to like I love it <laughs> to like unlock the I ability to enjoy the things you want to enjoy um and the game doesn't look great um but it is a gamecube exclusive why is this what is, <laughs> what is going on here target audience i'm telling you they probably yeah. were like this is our target audience this sounds so much like uh capcom's adventures in the magic kingdom from yes, the nes yes yes same sort of thing where you're at like the disney magic kingdom they're before they can like i guess the parade is like locked behind a door so you have to gather five keys gotta get unlock the parade you go to the you know uh big thunder mountain space mountain a small world or like pirates um and there's games for each one that each game is different oh i gotta we gotta seek this out if there is ever a gamecube nintendo switch online please let please universal studios i mean uh, honestly on it honestly from this conversation like i would love to play this game i'd love to play Benton and kaidos i'd love to play geist i'd love to play odama um like there are so many of these 
weird GameCube yeah, games. Yeah, that if they ever release it, will never. Yeah. Actually, I say they will never come, but I've seen the games that they're putting on the SNES Switch this Online now, so anything is possible. My U is for the unusual launch lineup of the Nintendo GameCube, specifically... No, Mario game! <laughs> yeah, specifically from the first party. So, Luigi's Mansion as a series now is, I would say, fairly beloved. The first game on the GameCube is well-liked, but everybody was a little bit like, why is there no mainline Mario game when yeah. uh, the GameCube was released? It was the first Nintendo console in america like outside of japan that had launched without a mario game um and the other game from nintendo was wave race blue storm nothing against wave race blue storm but uh that's just a weird one-two punch for the launch of your console yeah well and like it's got real echoes of the um mario 64 pilot wing 64 launch of the nintendo 64 where it's like here's one of our like mainline kind of ideas and here's one of like our kind of sportsy weird ideas yeah yeah and like which i guess is also the same as like one two switch and uh, breath of the wild right like i would love for another wave race game in the future i love luigi's mansion uh as a series i actually don't love the first game that much but i actually think part of it was because my experience was colored by it not being a Mario game. It's weird when you see Luigi and he's not like running and jumping and yeah. stuff, right? Like it's it, it is a a holy. I different... was not prepared, no, not prepared for Luigi's Mansion. Also, Luigi's Mansion three, as of March of this year, has sold nine point five nine million copies. Look at our guy go. It's so. I mean, from truly humble beginnings yep. as like a disappointing launch title to an almost ten, and at this point, probably over ten million sellers. Also, my. Thinking, and so this might not actually match up with reality, so I'm hoping you can check me here, Patrick, mm -hmm. is that we can thank Luigi's Mansion for Luigi as Coward. I think that is right. Which now is one of his, like, defining traits. Yes. But I don't think, really, before Luigi's Mansion, he had much going for him one way or the other. He S could jump high. Right. When did Mario and <laughs> Luigi um, Superstar come out? Oh, I'm not sure. I thought you were going to Google when did when Luigi, Luigi become a coward? coward. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, look, Superstar Saga doesn't come out until 2003. So I would say that that's probably the only other like early time that Luigi is being characterized as a coward. But yeah, definitely comes from uh, Luigi's Mansion. Up next is V, and my V is Beautiful Joe. Same. And the rest of the Capcom 5, just an excuse to talk about PNO3, mm -hmm. a game you, I guarantee you have never heard of. Um, actually, I can't guarantee no, that. No, you can't guarantee but that. It, it, a lot of people have heard of the, the Capcom 5. Yeah, but the, yeah. the only one of the Capcom 5 that actually ended up being a GameCube exclusive, Dead Phoenix, a game that was never released, Resident Evil 4, famously promised multiple times this is going to be a GameCube exclusive. Has since been ported to every other piece of hardware. Uh, before it was even released. Yeah, they cut yeah. the legs out from under that when we're like, hey, this. by the way, this is also coming to PlayStation 2. Yep. Um, Killer 7. A Grasshopper, Suda51, just insanely weird game. Um, I have played Beautiful Joe, and I have played Resident Evil 4. The other two that were released, PN03 and Killer7, I haven't played. I've, I've watched some speedruns of Killer7, but the Capcom 5 was basically uh, Capcom. They had this whole, like, statement that they put out on their website about, you know, like, committing uh, to the game yeah like yeah. games are like losing their 
like uniqueness and we're like committed to bringing that back um just a weird, weird and remember time. they'd already put out resident evil remake <laughs> and resident evil zero so like they're already supporting the platform it's so strange yep to me. yep um also i love uh I, i've always heard pn03 pronounced pno3 oh sure um, i which, would believe that uh when you say it fast enough sounds like you're saying piano three is that on purpose? I don't know. I'm, yeah, <laughs> I've never played the game. <laughs> um, Beautiful Joe, do you want to speak to Beautiful Joe specifically? Nah. Okay. Well, it's <laughs> uh, so it's this really cool like side-scrolling beat 'em up, um, uh, directed by uh, uh, Kamiya, the uh, progenitor of uh, Devil May Cry. Hideki Kamiya. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Devil May Cry and Bayonetta. Um, it's very like flashy, very kind of like superhero-y fun games reported to a lot of systems there were a couple of sequels um w my w is for waggle oh uh, as in motion controls what were we waggling so uh in although it would not show up until the wii nintendo was experimenting with oh. controllers that included motion controls speakers and headphone jacks or microphones and headphone jacks at the time of the gamecube so much so that an interview at the time quoted Greg Thomas, who was Sega of America's VP of development, as saying, quote, what does worry me is Dolphin's sensory controllers, which are rumored to include microphones and headphone jacks, because there's an example of someone thinking about something different. And of course, like mentioned, would not show up for the GameCube, but uh, would eventually make it in a Nintendo console in a big way with the Nintendo Wii. Yep, yep, uh, that's very good. My W is Wind Waker. It's time to talk about The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker. Um, unless, do you have it later in your list? I do, yeah. Okay, well then we will save it until later <laughs> in the list. Uh, I'll go X, mm -hmm. um, which again is another thing that we've sort of talked about already. The X and Y buttons are just weird little beans on the front of the controller. And I think their shape is uh, fascinating. You've never seen a button on a controller shaped that way outside of the GameCube controller. And again, so smart, you, without looking at it, you could tell exactly what button you were using because there were only two of them. Yeah. It wasn't like um, other controllers where the buttons are identical. Right. My X is accessories. All right, I'll allow it. Which we're talking, we've mentioned uh, my two favorites already, the DK bongos and the microphone used for such games as Mario Party 6 and 7, Chibi, Robo, um, Odama, also the Game Boy Player, another great accessory. Other ones, like there was, you know, like a dance pad for that uh, Mario Dance Dance Revolution game and other Dance Dance Revolution games. Yep. Just uh, uh, even though we don't necessarily think of them in the same way I think of like the millions of plastic Wii Sports third party, you know, like ripoff accessories that we'd get. The GameCube also had a huge amount of specialty controllers, third-party license controllers. Um, it, it is weird because it's it's just before the, like you say, the plastic, uh, well, specifically like the plastic instrument boom of Guitar think, Hero. Think of how many, like, garbage islands are floating around in yeah, the no ocean. Kidding. Just, just of, like, rock Wii band sports. guitars. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just before that era and just after the, like, light gun era. So, like... All of those peripherals and all those things were like had to be different. So like you're a Sega guy being like Nintendo's thinking about something different. Someone had to. It was time. Uh, mark your why. My why is yo. 
I just want to talk about some of the great games on the system that we haven't had a chance to bring up yet, like Very good. Paper Mario, Thousand Year Door. Um, still to this day, probably the best Paper Mario game. Other ones are great in their own way, but I think um, it had so much personality. It took everything that was great about the original Paper Mario and just like blew it out as yeah. far as it could possibly go, which is maybe why we've never gotten a game like Thousand Year Door ever again. Uh, Star Wars Rogue Leader, pa Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. Difficult I for, to remember a little bit, but the the you know like the original Prince of Persia, Sands of Time from Ubisoft was such a breath was like a revelation. Yeah, it was very cool. It had this time mechanic where you could rewind that was unique and different. Um, my personal favorite, well, not my favorite GameCube game, but one that I weirdly have a ton of fondness for is Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. I think I've talked about it on the show before. It's just a, like, probably pretty bad yeah. licensed, you know, like, game published by EA. And yet, I, it was, I, it came into my life at the right time, I guess, because I really had a ton of fun with that game. Tells of Symphonia, 1080 Avalanche, um, just lots of good Enter the games. Matrix, The Hobbit. Oh my gosh, I forgot they like, published Enter the Matrix on yes. the GameCube. Uh, I mean, like, you know, it's basically uh, not everything that came to the other platforms also came to the uh, to the GameCube, but, like, a lot did. The breadth uh, of the library. Yeah. You know, like, sports games, mm -hmm. uh, shooters, like, it all, like, the, the beginning of these, like, war games, like Medal of Honor, yeah. Call of Duty, they were all on the GameCube. Yeah, this is just, it's, the, the thing is that it's just before the, like, bifurcation of the, like, these are games that are allowed on Nintendo platforms, and these are the games that go on everything else. Um, you know, if Arkham, if uh, Arkham Asylum had come out during this generation, it would have been on the GameCube. It would have been worse on the GameCube, but it would have been there. Um Mark, my why is sort of a, uh, not a, yo, can we talk about this, uh, but more of a, yo, where was Yoshi? Yeah. Why is there no Yoshi game on this platform? Um, Yoshi's Island, Yoshi's Story. It seemed like there had been no some- puzzle game? No Yoshi puzzle game? Uh, Yoshi's not even, is he in Sunshine? He is in Sunshine. Okay. Oh, yep. yeah, that's right. That's yep. right. Um, but so, and uh, of course, he's in Mario Kart and like, you know, well, other sports games and stuff. But just Yoshi taking the low profile on the GameCube generation. Yeah, that is weird. Like, what's going on? Because when, you know, uh, when we get to the uh, Wii U, I guess, is when um, uh, Wooly World uh, comes around. Um, and then Crafted World on the Switch. The, we're like back in Yoshi mode. Um, but like... Yoshi took the GameCube off. This is not... That's such a good observation. This is not, like, uh, GameCube-related, but you talking about that reminded me of that... I don't know if it was a launch title for the Nintendo DS, but there was, like, a Yoshi game that was essentially an Infinite Runner before Infinite Runners became a thing. Touch and Go? Where, yeah. 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 Um, where you had Baby Mario on your back, and you were basically just, like, tr uh, tapping the screen to jump and... I don't yeah. know. It was like this weird mashup of like what became what Super Mario Run is like and this just weird infinite runner. Yeah. Well, and like that's the like the evidence, right? That like Yoshi Touch and Go was uh, on, on the DS. There was a new Yoshi's Island um, on uh, DS or Game Boy Advance. I forget which. Like they were making these games elsewhere, but for whatever reason, they're like, nah. Yeah. No Yoshi game on really GameCube. That is really interesting. Mark, let's talk about The Legend of Zelda. We have gotten to Z. Um, I am uh, here at this point uh, phrasing Z as a Zelda explosion because 
the GameCube Zelda expression, the expression of Zelda on GameCube is in all directions and it is new, it is old, it is messing with the old, it is messing with the new, it is inventing new franchises and new genres of Zelda games. We have, I already mentioned the Master Quest. Wind Waker starts kind of a new Zelda franchise of this like Toon Link. Um, we sort of get the promise of the future of Zelda in Twilight Princess, and we get multiplayer Zelda in the form of Four Swords Adventure. Like, this thing is a Zelda machine. Yeah, and like you mentioned in Soul, Soul Calibur, Link is yep. the representation for Nintendo there. Yeah, that's such a good point. It really... Because going into this, the Z for Zelda that I wanted to kind of talk about is A Tale of Two Zeldas, yes. which I think does kind of exist, but you're right that it is it's so more. much more it's, than it's that. It's more than that, yeah. But I, I do want to talk a little bit uh, about this, like, two different expressions of Zelda. Yes. One that kind of opened the GameCube era and one that closed it. When Wind Waker was revealed, like, Wind Waker is beloved now. And Toon Link is beloved. When Wind Waker was revealed, people were legitimately angry and upset. Right. Because it was not the Zelda that people were promised in, like, demo reels. It was not the Zelda people thought they were going to get after Ocarina of Time. People wanted that, like, I hate to say it, but, like, darker, mature, like, realistic, gritty Link. They wanted gritty Zelda. Mm -hmm. And it's the Space World demo that did that. That, like, set these expectations of, like, they had this demo of, like, here's what the GameCube can look like. And it was a demo thing of just, like, Link and Ganon fighting each other. And it looked, like, dark and mature and realistic, although it kind of looks like crap when you look at it now. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, like, there was this idea out there that there was a mature Zelda game just waiting on on the fringes and then wind waker was not that and like look uh wind waker was a just like super mario sunshine nintendo had difficulties on the gamecube in you know like they these games suffered from the lack of polish that we came to expect from nintendo they are still very good games um and the esteem i think for wind waker more so than sunshine has only grown with time. But Which is crazy because Wind Waker is also one of those games that is like objectively incomplete. Yeah. <laughs> they like cut two full dungeons from it because they were just like, I don't know, we can't. We, we just have to get it we out. We just have to get Same it out. Same with like yeah. Sunshine where it's just like, we these games, like they're the reasons that people buy Nintendo consoles right. at this point. Like we need to just get this out the door. Um, but yeah, it, hard hard to remember because of how like, much a part of the ecos- the universe it is now and how beloved Toon Link is. Wind Waker was a difficult p- sell for people. Yeah. And one of those things that just like compounded the GameCube's image problem, um, you know, like it had a handle, it was purple, it was cute. It had like, you know, it really kind of like in a way was a Nintendo own goal in the sense that, you know, it was just continuing to put them into this box that the rest of the industry wanted to put them in as like they could point to this and be like this is for babies right and it was before nintendo really had a handle on that messaging for themselves and it would only be a little bit later when they're like oh yeah no we are for babies because we're for everyone but then yeah at the towards the end of the gamecube uh era shigeru miyamoto shows up at the end of e3 
and there's the trailer for Twilight Princess, um, which I think at that time was just called Legend of Zelda. We didn't know what it yeah. was, but it was everything that people thought they wanted in Wind Waker. Um, you know, it was a darker world. It was Link's always like, an adult, a, a yep. grown up, you know, like more realistic uh, Link. And both good games in their own right, um, but just, yeah, the tale of two very different Zeldas in the GameCube era. Yeah. Well, and it it is uh, amazing to sort of, like, couple that with um, both the uh, pre-order bonus disc for um, Ocarina, or for Wind Waker that had Ocarina and the Master Quest, and also the, I forget exactly where this package came from, that uh, was a disc that had the original Zelda uh, and Zelda 2, and I think Ocarina uh, and yeah, Master that like Sonic. collection. Yeah, it was a, another like Zelda collection, which like hadn't we didn't have a Zelda collection on Nintendo 64. There was no way to play Zelda 2 on your uh, Super Nintendo. So like you know they they were looking into the past, they were looking into the future, they were looking for weird ways to do Zelda, this Four Swords Adventure, uh, hooking the, you know to your like uh, Game Boy Advance. Uh, like link cable thing it's all in there like they just have so many zelda ideas and they let it go in all directions at once um which wasn't like that that wasn't how they treated the series at that time or before that time uh z for zelda i all of our lists should sort of end in z for zelda should they not (laughs) um all right mark those are the abcs of the nintendo gamecube let's close this out All right, that is going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Um, please rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts. If you like the episode, you can share it on Facebook or Twitter, wherever you share stuff. We appreciate it when you do. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at Nin Cart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Ape Betty. You can get more of his music by going to apebetty.com or by listening right now. From my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Eller saying thank you for listening. I'm Brian Husky. I'm bald. And I'm Charlie Sanders, and I'm also bald. And we host Bald Talk on the Campfire Media Network. Bald Talk is the podcast where two bald comedians talk to anyone bald about being bald. But this show isn't just for baldies, Brian. Harrows will love it, too. Bald Talk gets into vulnerability, vanity, insecurity, and self-acceptance, reminding us that we all have our respective bald spots. Not that bald spots are a bad thing. No way. I mean, my entire head is one big bald spot. It is one huge, beautiful bald spot, Charlie. Get Bald Talk on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, I I have like a little bit of hair, but not like you. Like you're really bald. I'm truly bald. Great. I mean, it's I'm great. balder I than it. you. You are balder than me. Only on Bald Talk. Campfire. <laughs>